Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 53. The uh, Noah Gagson can go and hit a wall head on and um, eat it edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. My name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's good, brother? Yeah, I'm doing great, Phil. Uh, interesting weekend of racing between you know Formula or well, NASCAR. Um, Formula One's next weekend, but you know NASCAR and Xfinity specifically, and then um, had a pretty good uh, 12 hour Sebring race on Saturday, uh, close race like we kind of talked about last week, and uh, you know it was a good race to watch there. And uh, now we get into the next week of racing, but we got to talk about what happened last week. Yeah, the French connection coming through at. Uh, Sebring in the JDC Miller uh, Cadillac, the smallest team in the prototype category, the only non-factory effort basically goes out there and uh, wins Sebring. Big deal there for sure. Uh, ben Keating, no noted uh, super, I mean, he's not a super silver, but he's a proper silver and the PR1 Matheson uh, wins car getting a win and uh, of course colin brown who was two laps down at one point in the core auto sport 54 one of the best sports car drivers there is period um carries his group uh with john bennett and company to go to uh get a win in the lmp3 category uh the weather tech porsche benefits from corvette uh issues to go and um, get a win in the GTLM category, which is a big deal for uh, you know that that whole organization, a uh, small organization going against the Corvette team. It's gonna it's asking a lot to win anywhere. I'm sure that's not gonna happen in any of the sprint races, but in the endurance races, it gives that opportunity. Um, GTD uh, Porsche also won a FAF one. Uh, in the plaid car. And I think it was the Hardwick, that 16 car that finished second. So a lot of Porsche there, which isn't surprising. Uh, it's Sebring. Uh, so we'll get into all that. We'll get into NASCAR, as uh, Josh said. We'll talk about Atlanta. We'll talk about Bristol, dirt. First time Cup Series has been on dirt since 1970. Uh, Mr. The King and Bobby Allison and Bobby Isaac and the like, uh, you know, David Pierce, all that, like that's the last time they had a cup series race on dirt. And now you're going to have the best and brightest cup stars, but then you're going to have some interesting uh, uh, one-offs in, in, you know, the crappy cars, but you know, there you have Chris Windham, who's one of the best uh, sprint car drivers there is. Uh, non-wing spring car drivers, uh, Mike Marlar, uh, who uh, went and ran uh, the truck a few years ago at uh, at Eldora, Stuball, Shane Golobic in or Golobic, whichever, depending on who you how you want to pronounce it, in the '78 for um, the Perfect Strangers, and then um, yeah, so I mean they're they're not a full field. You can probably talk about the fact that they basically excluded Timmy Hill out of the iRacing thing because they didn't want to have a non-chartered car go and win 
which is bullshit, but you know, that's NASCAR for you. Um, go over all the weekend at Atlanta. We're going to go in deep into this formula one, uh, 2021, since they're going to be starting their, their season here at Bahrain, uh, regular circuit. And we'll see what happens. Might end up going back there uh, soon enough, whether it's on the long, on the oval or oval, I mean, and, uh, other things because they have about 18 different configurations they can run there and uh, get into the Indy cars and MotoGP and the roundup. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais has a pretty cool car uh, for 2021 and a new sponsor. First time in a couple of years uh, that they have a sponsor at ABC supply for a long time, but it's first time that they have a new sponsor in a while. Um, so big deal for Sebastian Bourdais and that whole organization getting all of it, uh, including Gagson, because uh, I know we both have takes on him and uh, what he's about or what he thinks he's about or uh, the reality of what he is relative to what um, anybody who, who who has a pulse or has common sense would think. So, um. Yeah, we will start tonight's show with uh, Formula One, and we're going to go back to front. We're going to go in pods uh, where we we preview teams based on where they've been or where we kind of see them right now. Doesn't mean that's where they're going to be in November or December or whenever the hell they end the season. The season's way too long, but. Um, Josh, I'll throw to you in terms of the back end, uh, the tail enders. Uh, you have uh, the Alpha Slobber team. Uh, you have Putin Haas and uh, Williams. When it comes to Williams, unchanged driver lineup, uh, Doritos is putting some money in there and look like they have better pace. Uh, you know, George Russell's aiming towards getting a Mercedes, uh, you know, a proper car after his close call at the Bahrain Roval uh, a few months ago. You have Putin Haas, which I mean, you have one guy who's basically the Noah Gregson, um, of Formula One, and then you have Mick Schumacher, who's known as a guy who always does well in the second year, but in the first year is a real struggle with a car that isn't going to be developed, a team that is probably the worst team uh, on the grid. Uh, there's, it's just basically a disaster. Uh, and then you have the Alfa Romeo team, which is the last year probably that they're going to be Alfa Romeo uh, with a driver lineup that's unchanged, which was surprising. Um, you never know when Kimi Raikkonen is going to, if he is ever going to quit, maybe he never quits, who knows. But um, Giovinazzi, somebody who's probably been given, he has nine lives. Uh, I guess in terms of those teams and what are your, what are your thinking for those three teams as we go into 2021? Is there hope for any of those teams? If so, who's going to bring it out there? And if whatever else you may be thinking in regards to what are basically is the tail end 
of the field right now. Oh yeah. I think I'll start out with uh, Williams racing and um, you know, with Williams racing, you know, they have support with Mercedes on the constructor side and they've got Mercedes power unit as well. Um, but for, for them, you know, they kept their driver lineup the same. Uh, and George Russell uh, is basically a Mercedes driver on loan to Williams for however long that uh, remains. Not sure, but uh, right now, he, you know, he's uh, driving Williams car, but I think he uh, has a lot of confidence, uh, a lot to prove going into the season after having a chance driving the Mercedes car last season, filling in for Lewis Hamilton. And, you know, he had some close calls last year and uh, in, you know, at Bahrain and had a chance uh, to have a good finish uh, and wipe themselves out um, in another race and uh, at spa. And, uh, you know, I think he's got a, a lot of uh, expectations for himself and a lot of pressure. And um, I think, Despite, I think Williams may be on pace, um, maybe the slowest car, but I think uh, based on his driving ability, I think you know, he can get the most out of it and he's going to be able to, I mean, he might have some mistakes here and there, but I think George Russell definitely is going to be somebody who's uh, going to drive smart um, and he's going to be able to uh, you know, drive uh, efficiently throughout the field and um, minimize the amount of mistakes that he makes uh, on the racetrack. And uh, I mean, I'm not really high on Nicholas Latifi, but uh, you know, I think you know, at least for now, he can be a good teammate for um, George Russell and both of them somewhat young drivers. But uh, I think George Russell definitely uh, a lot to prove and, um, you know, maybe more positive results later on, you know, will help him maybe get a Mercedes seat next year if they decide to uh, move on from uh, Valtteri Botas or if uh, Lewis Hamilton decides to suddenly retire for some reason. Um, that's definitely, he's definitely probably driver number one for either of those seats, I would, I would think. And then uh, moving on to Haas, um, they also did not have a lot of pace um, during preseason testing. Um, you know, they, did not uh, really have any pace last year, keeping the same driving lineup uh, and then now getting rid of uh, Romain Grosjean and uh, Kevin Magnussen, who both have moved on to the United States uh, where Haas is located. But uh, for them, they now inherit uh, Nikita Macepin and uh, Mick Schumacher, uh, one, you know, uh, continuing the lineage and legacy from uh, Michael Schumacher. And then the other, um, like you said, kind of a, the Noah Gregson of Formula One, a uh, very polarizing figure who, um, you know, his, I mean, I feel like he's driving. Um, I mean, I don't really know much about his driving, but I think, you know, the things that he does on track should at least be separated from uh, the things that he's done off the track, um, uh, specific, at least, you know, things that were actually off track, which is the reason he is polarizing. But, um, you know, for, for Haas, uh, I think they're kind of in a year of transition to new drivers um, and, seems like they're kind of aiming for the new regulation car in 2022. And this year is kind of a, kind of a throwaway year as uh, it was last year, kind of uh, the same deal for Ferrari. Um, and I think, you know, even though they do have Ferrari support um, this year, you're not really going to see uh, a whole lot of uh, pace out of the Haas car, uh, you know, expect them to be towards the back of the field uh, throughout most of the races, maybe here and there. Um, they can get a podium or not, well, not a podium finish, but maybe they can get a points finish here and there, depending on how things go. Um, maybe 
maybe at some of the races where you, you wouldn't expect them to uh, finish, like, you know, if they have like a crazy uh, race, like what happened last year at uh, Monza, something like that, where you get an unexpected winner and, a, you know, unexpected finishing order or, you know, something like uh, even the opening race, like uh, Bahrain uh, secured, like, um, but it would, for them to get points, I feel like, or even get more than just like a 10th or a ninth place finish to something extraordinary would have to happen externally in the field, or they would have to have like, you know, just a sheer amount of luck to really uh, have any positive results. So, you know, expect them to be towards the, uh, you know, last place finish or multiple laps down or retirement or something like that. Or, you know, if, if they do finish race, like the last car running in the field or uh, last car in the lead lap, something like that. And then, um, I guess for Alfa Romeo, um, you know, you got Kimi Raikkonen, who we may not know whenever he retires. Seems like he's become some ageless guy. I don't know. I mean, not really sure how much longer he'd like like to run uh, in Formula One, being kind of a the back of the pack slash midfield guy. Um, not really sure how long that's worth it for him. But you know, it's still, you know, one of the characters of the field. Um, definitely, you know, a lot of sport and fan base, but. Um, not really sure how long it's going to be viable for him, but um, you know, I'm not not really sure about uh, Alpha Romeo, like how they'll do. I think overall they're not going to be very good. Um, again, back of the field, but um, I feel kind of un unsure, like overall how they do. Like if uh, they'll be better than what we think they are, what we're projecting them to be. Maybe they uh, have something uh, that we don't know about. Um, I mean, they do have Ferrari support and maybe Ferrari finds something and they, that trickles down to Alfa Romeo. Don't, don't think that would happen, but certainly possible. And then, um, you know, Antonio Giovinazzi, um, you know, not really a driver that's really done a whole lot in formula one. Um, will have to, he's another guy that's kind of got to prove himself and, um, minimize the uh, amount of mistakes he makes on the racetrack. Um, certainly going to be a guy that doesn't really see a lot of time, uh, in the points. Um, definitely, you know, another driver probably finish laps down and, and uh, not really be in the way, but, you know, he'll um, not really uh, have anything uh, of a result to show for in uh, this season. So um, not really sure exactly how he'll do, but uh, I think um, his results will probably be equal to or worse than uh, Kimi Raikkonen. So, um, you know, that's kind of what I think for, I guess, the bottom of the field for uh formula one this season yeah the 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 what do you call the whatever tail enders i think the points you made in regards to russell um any type of pace that this williams car is going to have um will most likely be shown by george uh the new um head of the drivers association with uh roman grosjean moving to the States to run, um, for, uh, Dale coin and Rick Ware. Um, I think Williams will take a step forward and they'll get ahead of the Haas, uh, Putin Haas team. Uh, the, the fact that, you know, Marzipan is, is a, is a douche on and off track is not going to help their cause. Um, Mick Schumacher struggles and they're not, they don't have a good car to begin with. So it's going to be pretty ugly at times. Um, who knows what is going to do? Nobody really cares. He's there because of the check. Um, 
in the grand scheme of things, he's like a middling driver, but he's there because of the check. It's the same thing, Roy Nassani and insert any number of other people, Marzipan the same way. Um, I don't know what to expect from Alpha uh, Romeo. I really don't know why they kept their driver lineup. Like I can get Kimi Raikkonen to a point, even though he's like over 40 um, and he probably hasn't given a crap for a few years. But, you know, it's uh, like for people who are Ferrari junior drivers, I'd kind of be because there's less options now. It's literally there because once this year ends, I think Sauber is going to go back to being like the white, black and red like they had for I don't know how many years when they had Sergio Perez driving for them. Uh, there it goes. Alfa Romeo doesn't sound like they're going to that whole deal is going to stick around. So. We'll see what happens. I think Williams is the one team that with Russell is going to finally take a big step back towards relevancy after a few years of being the absolute worst um, with Doritos helping with the money. Now uh, we go from the tail enders to the midfield, deep midfield. Uh, Some would say there's five teams in it. In this case, based on uh, form from our whatever testing, you can go and take it for what it is. Um, I think about the midfield as being four teams. I think about, uh, you know, uh, the likes of AlphaTauri, Alpine, um, what is it, Aston Martin, uh, because you can't remember how many freaking names like Alpine and Aston Martin. I don't know how many different guys is both of those teams have been in um, over the however many decades they've been around in this sport. Um, AlphaTauri, of course, was initially minority way back when. So then there's that. And um, in Ferrari. Yeah, it's weird to say that Ferrari's a midfield team, but uh, that's what they are. Uh you know, Ferrari has Charles Leclerc. He's one of the fastest drivers in the sport, one of the most talented, but he's um, liable to make mistakes. And he has Carlos Sainz, steady shoe, but he will, he's also very aggressive. Um, car may not be the best at the moment to be able to really compete at the level that they want to be at. Uh, so now they're in the midfield. Of course, last year, I think the power unit changes they've been able to make over the winter might bring them back towards the relevancy that they want to be. Um, they're not going to be winning races, but at least they might be competing with a Red Bull here and there. They might be competing with McLaren. Um, the Aston Martin tracing point, Stroll F1 outfit, uh, struggled during the testing, but you have Sebastian Vettel who's trying to make good, um, trying to hold on in a sense, uh, strolls, whatever, who cares? Um, their car that at times last year was the third best car on the grid, sometimes even the second best car. They were the pink Mercedes. Um, now, as a full factory outfit, um, Warren Stroll, I assume, is looking for third in the Constructors' Championship. Uh, they're probably not going to get that. Um, fourth in the Constructors might be um, asking a lot as 
per where they are right now, early in the season. Um, and that's because of these two teams. You think about Alpine bringing Fred Alonzo back to the fold. The car was, you know, hit or miss. But there are people talk about Daniel Ricardo, and he's a good driver, but he's not a two-time world champion who can who's shown in multiple types of vehicles that he could drive and do really well, like Fernando Alonso. Um, probably his last run in Formula One, uh, win a couple of Le Mans for Toyota, ran Dakar for Toyota, ran the Indianapolis 500 for McLaren. Uh, last year, after the year before, it was a disaster. Um, we'll see what happens with Fred. Uh, Esteban Ocon's kind of on the, the hook right now. He probably is not going to be around after 2021, whether it's because of somebody we're going to mention here in a second or, you know, Guan Yu Zhou or whoever. Like, the there are options for Alpine for that one seat. Um, if Fernando Alonso decides to quit after one year, that might mean two open seats there with a factory outfit, which they're sound committed to sticking in Formula One. And I figure um, they will add another team. What team that'll be probably the Sauber team might go there. It's either Sauber or Williams. One of those two is going to go um, to Renault, I figure. Uh, for 2022 with the new package. Um, the Alpha Tori team to me, Josh, is the one, and you go over all these, but they're the one that's the most intriguing. You have Pierre Gasly, who is after, you know, after winning the Italian Grand Prix for whatever you want to call it, the guy won that race, and he has shown the kind of pace, talent, and ability. He wasn't given the time or the opportunity in the main Red Bull car. But it, with this team, with this this situation, he is a top, I mean, no worse than a, I guess, top six, seven guy in this sport. And he's French, which means the notion that he would go to Alpine is there. Um, if he isn't going to Alpine, I think Ferrari would also be looking at him. There, there, there are options for for Pierre Gasly. I don't think his his career is going to end being in this Red Bull nonsense. I think he's going to be able to, like Carlos Sainz, kind of get out of the Red Bull realm and do a better car. The person, though, that really stands out to me and that I'm really curious about, the guy who's going to win Rookie of the Year, is Yuki Tsunoda. Because for, you know, people make jokes about Japanese drivers and bringing money and sucking and the, the whole bit. You know, Takuma Sato, you know, God bless him. He's won two Indy 500s. But before that, everybody just knew him because he crashed a lot. Um, in Formula One and in IndyCar, uh, you know, the guy's got. You, the the thing though is now is that he's got two Indy 500s. He has a Long Beach Grand Prix for AJ Foyt, which I mean, to win for AJ Foyt, period, um, when it hasn't been the 19 post 1970s is saying something. Uh, it's kind of like winning for Richard Petty. Uh, it's kind of like the same Bobby Hamilton deal. But um, 
Sonoda is a guy, I mean, Honda's not going to be there after this year, but he has the potential to be the best Japanese driver in Formula One, I think. And, and it won't be that hard in certain ways, but in other ways, he has the speed, but he has a precision and he just needs a little bit of refinement where he could go and be that lead dog at the Alpha Tori outfit. And who knows what's going to happen? Red Bull, you, you, if Max or stop and decides he wants to bail, you know, that's one thing you Sergio Perez is on the back end of his career. There, I think Yuki Sonoda has an opportunity this year to really set the tone for what could be a long-term deal, um, long-term opportunity in this sport. And it would be great for Japanese fans and for people who just love hard chargers. And that's what he is. So, um, Josh, I'll throw it to you now. I mean, what are your thoughts? It's a lot, a lot of teams. Of course, you got Ferrari. And it's can never talk about formula unless you got Ferrari in there. So um, a lot of things to look at in regards to this midfield, especially going to a track at Bahrain, which opens up a lot more options uh, passing wise with the DRS um, for the midfielders. Well, yeah, just starting off, you know, with uh, Yuki Tsunoda, I mean, a lot of uh, talent there, you know, he's really fast, showed a, a lot of great pace. Um, and, you know, he finished third last year in the Formula 2 uh, championship. And he was going to be, you know, the first Japanese driver in Formula 1 since Kamui Kobayashi, like, six years ago or seven years ago, like, 2014. But, you know, AlphaTauri, like, you know, we kind of look, like, in their history, I guess, you know, it's always been supposed to be, like, the junior uh, or second fiddle to uh, Red Bull um, in Formula 1. But I think, you know, this year we're going to maybe see them be a little bit more competitive than what they have been in the past. And, you know, I think Yuki Tsunoda is definitely um, the driver to kind of show that potential and display that. And, you know, at testing so far this year at, at secure, I mean, he was one of the fastest drivers there and, um, you know, second fastest to Max Verstappen, you know, had help with DRS there, but still uh, very fast. And uh, I, I'm very curious to see, um, how he does, um, and you know, how much is he going to struggle? Is he going to have, uh, you know, a lot of races where he makes mistakes and takes himself out or, you know, not necessarily like crash out or something, but, you know, something that takes him out of the points or, um, you know, an issue where uh, they suffer a mechanical failure or something like that. And it was, um, had to do with him or whatever, but uh, I'm very curious, like you said, um, to see like what his his performance is going to be this year in Formula One and, and um, how often can he can he contend for for podiums and and uh, also for points. Um, very very interested to see how he performs there. And you know Pierre Gasly like you know he, he won at uh, Monza last year and I think you know it's a it's a huge confidence booster when you can win in really any series. And um, now he can prove that he can win uh, in in the AlphaTauri car. I think um, it's going to give him a lot of a uh, uh, confidence, a lot of momentum going into this year. And uh, obviously he feels very positive about his team this year. And uh, they, they were able to score points uh, um, uh, very, very many times last year and uh, got a seventh place finish in, in the constructor standings. So um, definitely uh, expect him to be in contention to score points and um, maybe get a win and definitely um, 
a couple podiums for uh for Pierre Gasly and uh I think definitely they'll be maybe the fifth best team on the the uh uh constructors standings and maybe maybe the fourth best team we'll see um they uh they have a lot of potential there and then I think going next going to uh Alpine Racing um seems like you know they're going to have a lot of support from Renault I mean they are Renault but um you know, changing their branding with Alpine there but um uh, curious to see like what uh, Fernando Alonso is going to do and um, how he's going to perform the early struggles and uh, things uh, transitioning back into Formula One after spending time away and uh, uh, competing in WEC, competing in IndyCar um, and a bunch of other series. I'm very curious to see what his uh, transition is going to look like if you know he's going to come out out of the gate, you know, getting uh, points finishes or you know if he's going to be uh towards the back of the field or you know out of contention in most races we're going to see and um you know he's taking over from uh daniel ricardo and like you said he's a lot better driver than daniel ricardo is but at the same time uh also a lack of seat time uh the last two years in a formula one car so uh wonder what the transition is you know is physically i mean obviously he's trained training a lot you know doing a lot of exercising getting ready but at the same time you know, hasn't been in the car in race conditions yet so uh, we'll see how he does and what his uh, uh, transition there is going to be like. And um, I think for, or for Ferrari, like they're still kind of in a rebuilding uh, mode right now. And obviously Charles Leclerc has um, been their guy and he's, he's won before, but uh, he's going to be kind of the lead guy, I guess, now. And, you know, they're putting all their best efforts into him. And I think Carlos Sainz is going to be kind of the second car to Leclerc, but uh, I think, you know, they, they, they could potentially get, you know, a couple of podiums, uh, you know, maybe two for Leclerc, one for Carlos Sainz, but uh, not really sure. Like, um, you know, if they'll be the best of the midfield, um, they, they also didn't have a lot of pace during uh, preseason testing, but at the same time, uh, as the year goes on, we'll see if they're able to improve and uh, make up for lack of pace in their strategy and, um, you know, making up for it in handling, uh, and taking advantage of tire strategy and, and, and all of that. And we'll see what, uh, they're able to do. And I think also, you know, uh, Aston Martin with, uh, Sebastian Vettel going to a new team after being at Ferrari. Um, in, I think he's definitely going to be the one carrying the flag for that team. Um, Lance Strolls, Lance Stroll, uh, not really going to do anything. He'll just kind of exist. And then it's going to be up to him if he wants to prove that, you know, he's still got something left in the tank after last couple of years at Ferrari being kind of whatever and not really being there other than to show up. We'll see uh, what they're able to do. And, um, you know, last year they were kind of the surprise team, I guess, in Formula One coming out, out of testing, having great pace and then kind of showing that, uh, albeit consistent, inconsistently over the season. So um, if they're able to improve upon that, we'll see. Uh, I don't think that they will. Um, I think they're probably going to be relegated back to being uh, maybe fifth or sixth place in the uh, championship standings for constructors at, uh, at the end of the year. But uh, I think, you know, if they uh, are more consistent with their results, then, you know, maybe they get uh, third place or fourth place in constructors, uh, but we'll see. Um, but uh, definitely a, a lot of uh, potential for competition uh, in midfield. Um, 
definitely going to be where uh, a lot of the craziness I think happens in the races this year in formula one. And with the notion of the team we're going to mention here in just a moment, uh, it could be even more intriguing because McLaren is, uh, you know, coming back to Mercedes after a few years away with Honda, Renault, the whole bit, uh, the partnership with McLaren and Mercedes over a couple decades or whatever was very fruitful, brought them back to the front, won world championships with Mika Hawken and Lewis Hamilton, uh, won a lot of races. And now they're back and they have a really solid driver lineup with Daniel Ricciardo um, moving over to McLaren from Renault and uh, Lando Norris, who's been there for a couple of years, um, going to be great for social media content, but will they bring it on the track too? I kind of feel like that they're on the upswing, the power unit, along with a stable platform, like we talked about last week on the show is and and a guy like Daniel Ricardo is going to give you the absolute best at all times. Um and you have an opportunity there. I think Lando Norris hasn't hit um he hasn't hit his best yet either. Um you know his BFFs one of them's driving DTM the other happy birthday to Alex Albon uh you know because it is on his birthday uh but he's gonna be driving dtm and and some other be a whatever third driver or whatever reserve driver and then george russell has never he's only had one race in a proper car uh you know lando it's a time i think for him third year to finally go and start taking that step forward and with this package i think he's going to be in a situation where he could contend uh for podiums and possibly who knows the way things might land, they might be able to compete for wins. Uh, Red Bull, of course, has the best driver lineup they've had in a long time, uh, probably since the you know, Vettel Ricardo year 2014 is probably the best driver lineup they've had. The most uh, both drivers being solid. Uh, of course, Max Verstappen. People can argue could say he's probably the best driver that isn't named Lewis Hamilton. Um, he's won his races. He's won polls. He's a guy. He won the last race at Abu Dhabi. Uh, he's a guy that when his mind is right and he's, and he's able to execute, he's, he's legitimately one of the best drivers we've seen in a long time. He's got a lot of Kyle Busch in him. Um, and then you have Sergio Perez, Checo, who got let go from the what is now the Aston Martin team. Um, basically, you know, he knew he was going to get let go uh, months before anyway, but, you know, he goes and wins his first Grand Prix. He did really good work. He missed a couple races, whatever. It was a crazy year. He finished fourth in the world championship, and now he's going to be in a Red Bull. Uh, car is improved, it looks like. It's weird. It's not a the easiest driving car because I think they literally made it for Max Verstappen, um, which is what it is. I mean, it's the same thing for other teams, I guess, but um, Sergio Perez is the kind of guy that's going to give you the absolute best at all times. 
And he's been for a guy who initially came into the sport as a ride buyer. Um, he's the opposite of what a lot of people who are tagged or given that moniker do, because he's actually, he cares. He's a hard charger. And uh, I, I am really intrigued. Now, that is a subplot, I think, during this season that we have to watch in regards to Red Bull and how they get along. It's got the uh, Sebastian Vettel versus Mark Webber uh, kind of implosion opportunity, uh, but it could also be very, very fruitful, which would then put them back in a position to possibly win a constructor's title for the first time since 2013. Um then, of course, you have Mercedes, who um, since 2014 have been the dominant team with wins, polls, the whole bit. Uh, Valtteri Botas trying to go and finally get that world championship. He's been yearning for and, you know, getting more wins, more polls. But he's going to have to beat Lewis Hamilton, who um, is arguably the greatest ever. and. His at this point, it's really about getting number eight, getting a hundred poles and a hundred wins. That's really what he's racing for. And if he gets all of those things this year, which I think is highly likely, what is he really racing for after that? Um, you're 36 years old, and he's been at this for um, was it 10, 14, 15 years? Uh, it, it you have to start to wonder what's going to happen. I, I mean, Mercedes, I think, is going to have at least one new driver going into 2022. It's just who's going to be the one that gets replaced and who are they going to choose or what options are they going to have? The likely option, of course, is George Russell, but there are going to be other options at that point. But um, uh, for you, Josh, I mean, is, is is this real? Is it pretty straightforward? Even with the testing results, are we going to have kind of status quo as what we've had since 2014? Lewis Hamilton is going to dominate and um, pad his stats, or does Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, a combination of those two, and then even McLaren on the upswing, make it a little bit more interesting here uh, in 2021? Yeah, it's an interesting question to ask with the comparison and contrast with uh, Red Bull and then Mercedes. Uh, I think the question is for Red Bull is how often are they going to be able to be equal or better to Mercedes? And uh, it seems like early on in testing that they could be the uh, team that you know is at least equal to Mercedes. But, I mean, that was only one week of testing. And, you know, we've got a 23 race uh, season coming up in uh, several different tracks and um, we'll have to see what, what that's going to look like. And it could be where it's some, you know, something volatile where, you know, one week we see Mercedes on top and then the next week we see uh, Red Bull on top and that alternate throughout the season, or it could be something more similar to years past where it was Mercedes uh, dominating most weeks and then Red Bull um, maybe having a, a race here or two or even three races where, you know, they're the team to beat. So uh, a lot of uh, potential for what that could be uh, like uh, this season. But I think 
you know, Red Bull, the challenge for them is to be able to be uh, equal to Mercedes, I think, and actually, you know, challenge and um, be competitive and win more than, you know, two races for Verstappen and uh, like he, he did last year, maybe win three to four races for Verstappen and maybe Sergio Perez can get a win. Um, I think they definitely have the pace. And I think this year, uh, um, even going into a, a new regulation the following year, I think this year they're really going to put a lot of effort into uh, being competitive with Mercedes. And I think for Mercedes, the, you know, the question is, is, uh, you know, are, how competitive are they going to be internally to each other with uh, Lewis Hamilton winning uh, most races historically and the, the teammate, whether that was, you know, Nico Rosberg, except for 2016 and uh, now um, uh, Valtteri Botas uh, since then, um, you know, they've only won uh, a couple of races compared to Lewis Hamilton throughout a season. And I think the question is going to be is um, how much do, effort do they want to put into uh, Valtteri Botas being as good as uh, Lewis Hamilton and how much pressure is that going to put on Lewis Hamilton to go out and win races? And you talked about Lewis Hamilton's future, and if he wins his eighth title, which it probably will happen, we'll have to see. I mean, um, not going to guarantee it, but um, you know, he already owns the wins record, already owns the polls record. Um, you know, how much more is there left to achieve? And does he, you know, want to be somebody that just goes out and just uh, continues to win races, championships, get polls, and just set his record so far out there that nobody can reach it and just, you know, be, uh, you know, the absolute greatest and just settle that argument on his own without um, leaving any questions uh, to the, you know, to journalists and to fans, then um, maybe that's there. Or does he decide to uh, hang up the helmet um, after this year or after 2022 or something like that and go into a, another series and, uh, like kind of like what Fernando Alonso is doing and challenge himself in uh, sports cars or uh, try an Indy car in America or try even a stock car, um, which he's talked about in the past. And you know, obviously NASCAR could be going to street courses and trying to expand into more road courses. So that could be an option for Lewis Hamilton in the future if he decides to try that. But obviously that question is up to him um, and we'll have to see what happens, but it, it is something to uh, pay attention to and, uh, not only his performances, but also his demeanor, because you know, even if you're successful, you know, sometimes you um, yearn for more um, and uh, even beyond your own success and you want to be challenged in different ways. And, and, you know, you, you know, winning a bunch of races in Formula One, you know, maybe it gets old for him and, you know, he decides to move on, try something else. So it'll be definitely a storyline to pay attention to uh, across this season. And then finally with McLaren, um, the pairing of uh, Daniel Ricciardo, uh, Lewis, or Lando Norris, uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, uh, I think the question for Ricciardo is um, the type of season he's going to have uh, his first year at McLaren. Um, I think his best years in Formula One were 2014, where he won three races and kind of you know became a breakout driver for Red Bull. And then uh, 2018, um, you know, where he won uh, at uh, – uh, Beijing, you know, beating uh, Sebastian Vettel and the closing laps of that race, um, probably like one of the better drives, I think, of his career and maybe one of the better finishes in recent Formula One history. Um, is, is he going to be able to win at least two races? Um, and, and can he score more than two podiums? I mean, last year, he only scored two podiums in the Renault car. Um, and, you know, how often are they going to be there uh, as a podium finisher? Um, and then also, um, 
you know, they they will score points, but you know, are they going to be a ninth to tenth place finisher where they only score one point, or are they going to be a uh, or two points, or are they going to be like somebody that scores uh, you know, uh, more points uh, on the you know Formula One scale where they're a fourth or fifth place finisher or a third place finisher on the podium? So I think that's the question for um, McLaren this season is just um, where they're going to stack up. Uh, behind uh, Mercedes and behind Red Bull, um, and you know how often can they challenge those two cars? Um, and then uh, Lando Norris. Uh, I think one thing to pay attention to is last year in 2020, Lando Norris completed the most laps uh, and completed the most distance uh, of all the drivers, and I think that uh, shows um, how well he can take care of the car uh, compared to the other drivers. And I mean, obviously, there are different reasons why drivers didn't complete all the laps, but um, I think that. Uh, is evidence to show why um, he's reliable as a driver and why he can finish races. And I think it'll definitely help um, McLaren going into season or going throughout the season and being able to, uh, uh, you know, finish races and score all those points. And um, it, it'll definitely be a benefit for them. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to look at in regards to this whole entire season. And of course, 23 races, as you mentioned, Josh, a lot to go over. Uh, we don't know where, the, I mean, there's a schedule, but with COVID still a thing and different strains and the whole bit, don't know where they're really going to be running um, at this point. Uh, there's some races, like they'll be running Portugal again, Portimao, and They've had to move some races and there's other things I think are going to be in play, but at least this weekend they're going to be racing and um, they'll be nice to have something else on the tube since we've had only really NASCAR, you know, one NHRA race, couple sports car races, and then there's a Supercross and, you know, Supercross has kind of lost its luster um, the last few years. Um, speaking of something that's lost its luster, you can go to the Cup Series. Uh, Young Money uh, dominated at Atlanta, but in the end, um, YRB came through and uh, won a Cup race at Atlanta 20 years after his dad should have won there in a BP uh, number 93 for Bill Davis Racing. Uh, YRB goes out there and wins uh, in a body armor car. And it's a few weeks after I went and got a door number body armor car, the whatever the, whatever you want to call that uh, graffiti car that he had at Daytona, I think it was, and got a door. So that was pretty cool. But um, YRB uh, stealing one from old young money there. Josh, uh, I mean, Atlanta, it's worn out. It's a tough racetrack trying to go and, and be able to, to win there it means a lot. And I think for Ryan Blaney especially, uh, he was only one of three drivers that led double-digit laps. There was only five, six drivers that actually led in a race. So it was pretty straightforward. Um, the fact that Kyle Larson led nearly was – he led two thirds of the race and won both stages and he's on a heater and there's plenty of people who are picking him for this weekend's race, but 
is 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 it more i guess the way i would put it is this is it more that ryan blaney won the race on sunday with whatever you know his utilizing his teammate going and holding up larson is it more about blaney winning it or did kyle larson kind of go back to what he's been known for over time um not being a great finisher um and kind of give put himself in a position where he could give it away when he had by far the best car well i think for ryan blaney um he was able to the coming out of the uh, last stage you know he was able to start uh up front and take the lead in the final stage uh in, initially and uh, i think that helped him because you know he was able to get off of pit road uh and win the race off of that to start the stage and and then the first couple of laps he was able to lead uh which i think helped him because kyle larson uh started i think in third on the final stage and uh you know he had to use up his car a little bit to get back up to the lead and then for the majority of the third stage uh kyle larson was leading but they showed some trends in the first and second stage and uh, on the broadcast, I think, or at least they talked about it. And Kyle Larson ended the first stage, even though he had a big lead and in the second stage uh, seemed like his car was very uh, loose at the end of stage and he was, fa- uh, he was fading. So I think for Larson, the only reason why he didn't lose the uh, first and second stages despite uh, in dominating both is just because he had such a giant lead um, among the rest of the field. And even though he was fading in terms of car handling, he was still able to um, just outright win the first two stages. But then when it came down to the actual race win, um, Ryan Blaney obviously was able to sort of keep pace throughout the final stage. And and then when it came down to it, he just had a little bit better handling car at the end of the race than Kyle Larson did. Um, so I, I don't really think it's Kyle Larson choking. I just think um, at the end of the race, uh, Ryan Blaney just had a better handling car than Kyle Larson, um, which I, you know, I think Kyle Larson in the past, like he has given away races and he, there's been times where he, um, he was the uh, guy trying to get the lead at the end of the race and then either wrecked or uh, hit the wall or uh, faded. But I, I think it's just more of um, one guy had the better car than the other. And that's how it happened. And uh, Kyle Larson wasn't really able to stop uh, Ryan Blaney. Um, I think Ryan Blaney just had a lot more momentum than him uh, when he tried to pass Kyle Larson with like uh, nine or 10 laps to go in that race. Um, but I think for Larson, um, you know, I think it shows a great improvement and um, it's at least right now equal to his form in 2017, probably even better um, than what it is or what it was then. So um, look for Larson to probably at least at mile and a half tracks and maybe some of the other um, two mile tracks. Uh, I think you can see Kyle Larson definitely uh, being up front a lot. So that's going to be something that we look for uh, down the road as the Cup Series goes into the playoffs and goes to Phoenix for the championship. Uh, but I think Ryan Blaney, you know, he's uh, had a reputation for kind of being carried by stage points in 2020. But I think uh, this year he actually won a race and was hanging around there uh for most of the race up up in the top five up in the lead so i think um maybe it's gonna be a little bit different season for ryan blaney and um not not gonna say how many races he wins but definitely uh gonna be a a more of a contender than what he was last year and you have to also look at it in this sense that for blaney 
you know, at some point, when is for all the talk and for all the PR that because Blaney's a popular guy, he's a real guy, kind of soft spoken, but he's a popular guy, um, just like his uh, friend uh, Clyde. And but when you're with two drivers in your own team that have one has over 30 plus wins and a championship and he's won every race, but the 500, then your other teammates, a champion who's won the 500 and won other big races. Um, and he's not going anywhere. Penske racing, as we know it in the cup series is going to be built around Joey Logano for a while. Um, it sounds like they're going to bring Brad Keselowski back, but I think it's going to be on one year deals. Uh, Blaney has to actually show up and he has to actually do some work because, you know, all these years in the cup series full time, you only have four wins and like, Oh, it's only four wins, but you have other teammates that are able to compete and get things done too. So big deal there getting a win at Atlanta. It's a hard driver's racetrack. Uh, His dad was good there and was unfortunate back in that day in March of 2001, when, he had a loose wheel, got set back, or he had problems, he couldn't recover. And that was where old Harvick won his first cup race over Jeff Gordon. So, kind of interesting. Of course, Blaney did TV the day before, did both races. So, he was very busy and getting that win there with Todd Gordon and company is, is a big momentum boost going into the Bristol dirt race coming up this weekend, but in general, knowing that you're locked into the playoffs and you're going to be um, able to kind of R and D things so that you could possibly be up there with the two and the 22 generally. Um, I mean, that's one thing too, you know, for what Blaney was able to do and beat the obvious dominant figure in Larson the Chevys and the Toyotas were up there, but the Fords really, really struggled. And they say, oh, it's rule changes and whatever. I'm not off the top. I'm, I can't remember everything that's changed, but it's surprising to see Stuart Haas not be a factor in general. Um, Kevin Harvick is a master at Atlanta, and he scratched and clawed to get a top 10, which... I mean, to me, is kind of a scary sign, but I don't know what you're thinking uh, in in regards to what the Ford camp was able to do, and specifically uh, Stuart Haas, and even to a lesser extent, the Penske racing team outside of Blaney uh, this past weekend um, in regards to their situation. Yeah, it's an interesting race for Ford. Um, they were kind of up and down throughout the race. Uh, Ryan Blaney was the one constant throughout the entire event. Uh, then we had Chris Buescher ended up finishing seventh, and uh, I think they were top 10 at the end of, uh, they were top 10 in both stages, uh, uh, ninth place and then eighth place in stage two, or stage one, stage two. And then uh, Harvick was uh, a lap down for most of the race and then somehow ended up finishing in 10th place, but they were a non-factor throughout. I mean, I guess they were able to recover and get a top 10, but you know, they, they were non-existent for most of the race. And um, then Joey Logano was uh, kind of up there at the beginning of the race, and he faded and ended up finishing 15th first car lap down. Keselowski was also up in, 
top 10, top five early on the race. And then I think they had like a, a wheel issue or something. And then they ended up finishing 28th, uh, like four laps down and out of contention, uh, mostly a non-factor for that entire race, uh, for most of the race. Um, so a lot of inconsistency kind of to start the year for Ford. And yeah, it's, it's a very con concerning, particularly for Stuart Haas, uh, particularly for Kevin Harvick, because he hasn't really made a lot of noise this year. Um, and we've expected him in years past to just show up and, you know, dominate the race or, you know, finish top five in, in the race at the end of the day. But he hasn't had that type of performance yet. And uh, it seems like maybe it could be because of the uh, rule change or something. It seems like there's been noted online that there is a rule change in the off season with, I guess, the wheels or something. I don't know. I, I'm not sure I haven't kept up either entirely, but for whatever the reason, um, they seem to be at a disadvantage this year. And uh, it seems like that might be a, a storyline uh, throughout this year is Stuart Haas uh, struggling throughout the races. Uh, and maybe next year that'll change. Uh, maybe they're deciding to put more of their effort into 2022 and preparing for the next gen car. Um, and they're just going to make sure to be okay enough, but definitely they're struggling uh, this year. So uh, a huge change from last year and uh, we'll have to see throughout the uh, next couple of races if they improve their performance or if this becomes more of a norm for them uh, but I think for Stuart Haas like Kevin Harvick's been the driver for uh, the past you know since he uh, showed up in 2014 uh, Eric Almarola kind of has become the second best driver uh, Cole Custer, you know, he, he's somewhat uh, more competitive than what he was last year, but they just haven't had the results quite yet to show for it. And then uh, Chase Briscoe, rookie driver, uh, we expect a lot out of him because he's shown it in Xfinity and in truck, but still there's going to be some rookie struggles there. So uh, not sure what we should gauge him to be at uh, as a driver compared to his teammates. So there's going to be a lot of problems, I guess, for Stuart Haas this year and uh, it is very concerning, but you know, hopefully they can turn it around and uh, go back to being their normal selves. Yeah, this weekend is a opportunity weekend for Briscoe. Odds are out there, and Briscoe is one of the favorites. Um, he hasn't had, he hasn't been able to put a full race together yet in a Cup car. I I also have not been a fan of crew chief combination that he had. I think he would have been better off with either Bugger Avich or bringing um, what's his name, uh, his crew chief in the Xfinity series last few years, Boswell. I think it would have been better off doing the same thing as they did with the 41 with Shiplet, uh, bring him up with, with Custard and it would have been better and they could have came up with one of them guys, whether it's Bogoravich or, or whatever the hell the guy's name is, it's the, the crew chief of the 14 car right now. He used to be the 10s crew chief a couple of years ago. Um, you know, like that, I just don't like the, the mo, the mood or the thing right now. And Custer's whatever. And fundamentally, and I also don't think Eric Almirola is running great in general. He's had some problems. Daytona 500, really, uh, they were in that race, and they were one of the best cars. And then 16 laps into the race, you get destroyed. And I think there's 
been it's been very difficult for them to recover from that. Um, my fantasy uh, scores in the fantasy game on talking in circles is proof on that. Um, you know, but I, you have to wonder about Ford. I, even though the the Penske cars are up there points wise, to to do bad at a track which is one of their better tracks. You have to kind of be worried, but of course you have Bristol, you have dirt. Um, the three of them will probably put themselves in a position uh, to finish it out well um, at the end of 150 laps or whatever at Bristol. Um, it's going to get very dry because it'll be in the baking sun. So it'll be um, interesting uh, to see how that track uh, comes in or, kind of have to go and look at that just to make sure that is the way things are but um we will see um uh, about what happens in the cup series we'll go and talk about that um in more detail later uh the xfinity series which um saw uh, the saw the the justin yeah justin Algaier. Uh, gets his first win of the season. Um, the had a struggle to say the least early, but um, going and getting out there and winning uh, puts himself back into the points championship uh, situation uh, for the you know getting towards um, Phoenix in a few months' time. Uh, Truex was the best car dominated. It was pretty much him and all were the two best cars and there was nobody else. Uh, you know, Harrison Burton, Gagson, AJ Allmendinger, top five with Herbst, Annette, Haley, Hemrick, and Ryan Sieg, your top 10 Sieg coming from 35th to finish 10th. Uh, Brett Moffitt uh, triggered an accident in the first stage or end of the first stage, which destroyed a lot of vehicles. Um, Josh Berry went and took a nine iron to the, to the grass um, on pit road after saving his car and ripped off the whole front end of his car. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the race itself, there wasn't a whole lot to that one. It was, it was true X probably uh, should have won, but he, you know, Justin Allgaier was, was the right place, right time, second best car, good pit stops, made it happen. But really, um, it's about the incident with um, Gagson and Daniel Hemrick on pit road, which saw Noah Gagson go and back up into Daniel Hemrick's pit crew, which is also Denny Hamlin's pit crew on Sundays. And that set off a whole chain of events and comments and things which uh, saw Daniel Hemrick nail uh, Gagson in the face. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the Xfinity series, I think it, we're, we're getting to a point where if you can find somebody that isn't employed or doesn't have the name Earnhardt um, that likes Noah Gregson, it'll be hard that isn't employed by junior motorsports and that actually likes Noah Gregson. Um, in the garage, you'd, you'd be very hard pressed because the guy is an absolute tool. Um, 
absolute d-bag uh he offends me to the core and the way that people like knob gobblers like um jenna fryer going and defending his behavior it's like you're basically emboldening him it's like the orange aid way it's like oh you don't say anything about it um let it go uh act like it's all right thoughts and prayers whatever you know like kyle rittenhouse like which is what he is um they're supported by the same company so it all makes sense um i guess uh uh you know Jess and Algar going getting the win, but the subplot of uh, Daniel Hemrick and Gagson and uh, your thoughts on what he said and what he's been doing this year, and I guess what he is in general. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think the subplot with uh, Hemrick and Gagson getting into it on pit road and then after the race, I think you know that subverted the main plot and then became the main plot, right? And now the topic really i think this week in nascar is the uh noah gregson's conduct uh mostly off track i mean i guess some of it is on track but it's mostly off track and how he conducts himself um i mean obviously this was an on-track incident that led to the off-track incident but uh yeah i i think the on-track incident itself him backing into hemrick um i actually kind of view that as unintentional but more of a carelessness unintentional and and failure to acknowledge it kind of thing you know there's because there's things like where it happens like we saw on sunday anthony alfredo spun out and um almost ran into i think eric amarola's pit crew uh during green flag stops and obviously that was a, a clear as day accident um that was you know he didn't mean to spin the pit crew it just happened and um you know obviously could have hurt uh eric amarola's pit crew um which does bring back into the point of uh Gregson backing into the uh right front uh headlight of uh, uh Hemrick while I think his car was on the jack and the pit crew was uh changing tires on the pit stop um and somewhat I mean it wasn't a, a heavy impact uh but I mean slight impact on the uh right front corner of that car but obviously the uh the hit happened and uh Hemrick was unhappy about it at the race and uh, tried to confront uh, Gregson. And not really sure if he actually landed uh, a punch there. I think he tried to make a swing, and I, I think in the kind of the momentum of making that swing, I think he kind of missed. And then Gregson tried to uh, come back with a few shots of his own, but uh, couldn't really land one uh, with uh, one of the crew members holding back Hemrick, uh, which you know he should be able to land one there if he got somebody holding uh, the other guy, but. Um, you know, uh, he's not a trained boxer, so I'm not going to expect him to try to be able to uh, land a hit there. So uh, for Gregson, you know, he, he uh, kind of just said, showed the the picture there and or the video there on his Twitter and kind of just explained, yeah, I backed into him. Uh, you be the judge, um, paraphrasing uh, by a large amount there with what he said. But, you know, the uh, question is, is like, was that intentional or not? And um, I mean, also there is the middle finger part with that, and that kind of complicates things. And then should he have been penalized by NASCAR? Should uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. take action internally? Um, and um, a lot of all of that. But I think for for Gregson, I mean, he's obviously had this kind of uh, recurring behavior uh, throughout his career uh, in NASCAR, especially um, since he's been in the Xfinity Series. And, um, you know, I, th I think, you know, he's a moron. There's really nothing more to it than that. Uh, 
uh, he, he's made a, lo a lot of dumb decisions. Uh, I mean, I don't know about on the racetrack, but you know, he's definitely conducted himself uh, very poorly uh, off the racetrack um, and uh, said, said a lot of stupid things, uh, obviously been in the headlines because of what he said at Homestead about Carl Long and David Starr. And then this week, uh, I guess, failing to apologize or, you know, say that, uh, you know, uh, sorry for hitting the uh, hammerick there and, and kind of, um, you know, I, I mean, it was, I mean, it was, not, I don't think it was intentional, but, you know, should at least acknowledge that it happened and, and um, be able to, um, you know, be remorseful somewhat, I guess. And, you know, he, I mean, he just continues to show he's not very smart, I guess. And uh, I, you know, I don't need to make any connections with uh, whether, um, you know, it's, it follows suit from his sponsor or whatever with the coffee company. I mean, he's just a moron all, all on his own. Um, and then, you know, Junior, should he make, take action? Um, I mean, I don't think I need to chirp at him on Twitter or whatever and tell him to um, suspend Gregson or whatever. I mean, I think the incident happened enough on its own that he's aware of it and maybe he'll uh, talk to him and actually have a conversation with him instead of just saying, yeah, I'll just kind of let it go. Like he has said on the uh, download the past couple of episodes where Gregson had an incident uh, and I don't know, maybe they'll tell him, Hey, if you, if you do this one more time, you're out or something like that, or, uh, you know, or they'll park him for a race. Uh, maybe that'll happen. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think he's on a one-year contract this year with junior motorsports, or maybe it might be a two-year deal. Um, I think it's a one-year deal, but uh, I think if anything, maybe they just don't re-sign him at the end of the year. Um, if, if he continues the behavior that he's had, or maybe they've already seen enough and they've made the decision just not to bring him back next year, regardless. So we'll have to see how that, uh, how that um, plays out. But NASCAR didn't penalize them as well. Um, and they've been very inconsistent over the years with how they penalize drivers. And uh, I mean, really it's a culture of how the drivers have behaved. And, you know, this is just the latest incident in, in drivers. They, you know, they've tried to make comparisons to Tony Stewart, Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, and all that stuff. Um, it doesn't really fit because I guess he has some of the behavioral aspects, but um, you know, when you win, you tend not to uh, get as much flack for it uh, for whatever, you know, bad stuff he did. And, you know, he's only won two Xfinity races and I think like one or two truck races. So he, you know, doesn't have the credentials yet of uh, Kurt Busch or Tony Stewart to uh, maybe get a pass from that. Um, but still, even then, I don't think you should get a pass either way. Uh, I think for, you know, for Gregson, just, uh, I mean, I don't know if he should have been penalized or not. Um, you know, I'm not the one to make that call, but, uh, you know, NASCAR since at least 2010, maybe even before that, um, has started to, uh, take a, a lax narrative with, uh, the drivers and, uh, some incidents are worthy of penalty. And then, you know, other incidents aren't worthy of penalty. And, uh, I think for this one, like if they just find him some money, like that probably wouldn't have done anything and, you know, fines a fine, you know, you just, uh, pay the money and that's it. Uh, points penalty or suspension, um, that I, I don't know if it's worthy of a suspension, but, you know, at the same time, like there's gotta be something to say, like, Hey, you know, you, uh, you're a moron, stop being a moron and be an adult. Uh, so there's gotta be some kind of, uh, balance between, um, you know, just outright banning him or versus, uh, you know, slapping your wrist, I guess, something in the middle between that. But, um, 
the last time the driver got penalized was Matt Kenseth. And, you know, that was obviously for a very blatant action and it hasn't gotten to that. I mean, Gregson hasn't really done something blatant like that yet. Uh, will it happen? Not sure. I mean, maybe somebody else will do it to him at Martinsville or even Talladega, you know, last lap, put him in the air. some type of thing. We'll see. Uh, I mean, hopefully he doesn't come to that, but um, it's a, uh, it's a tough, it's a tough discussion, but you know, Gregson's a moron. Stop being a moron. Uh, you know, be an adult, uh, grow up. Um, uh, I mean, junior, uh, if do what you got to do, um, respect the decision either way, I guess. I mean, I am, I guess I'm a little bit biased because of junior, but, uh, you know, like I'm not going to, I'm not really angry at junior for hiring Noah Gregson. Um, although his track record of drivers outside of, uh, you know, Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski is kind of questionable. I mean, he also employs Michael Annette. Uh, he employed, you know, Elliot Sadler, um, employed uh, Danica Patrick. Uh, and, you know, for every good driver, there's maybe like one or two, um, you know, bad or bad, per bad driver, or bad person uh, that juniors had on his uh, team. And, you know, uh, some of that's because of sponsorship and, you know, other, other stuff is because, you know, just uh, didn't make the right call, but, you know, um, uh, just, you know, Gregson just needs to be smarter and uh, wonder how many more times is it going to take before uh, he cleans up his act, I guess. Yeah, the notion of this this guy and the way he behaves and the way he does things and, and like, that that C word uh, going and in, in comparing him to uh, Tony Stewart is, is just absolute, is an absolute abomination. Uh, the fact that she's allowed a hard card um, when she basically has had a hard on for Tony Stewart for 20 years or however long she's been around freaking pig. I mean, the, the horrible comparison. Here's the thing. Tony Stewart's crap has more talent, and more wins than Noah Gregson's ever had in his whole entire life. Um. Last time I checked, he doesn't have to go and sexually harass women to get women because women have been throwing themselves at Tony Stewart for decades. And now he's engaged to a girl that goes 330 miles an hour. Um, Noah Gregson is a deviant. Um, he's a child. Uh, he's a moron, an imbecile, LCD, um, douche nozzle who probably F's his vacuum cleaner. And if he doesn't F his vacuum cleaner, probably bangs an animal or, or cousin or sister or something. He seems like that kind of guy. Um, his dad's a freaking murderer. I mean, he's just a scumbag. Um, and Kelly Earnhardt Miller and her husband, uh, they support these LCD guys. And Dale Jr. just sits there like a bumble. F and it's like here's the thing you have this voice and you're 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 basically one of the only voices in this sport that anybody really listens to and the fact that you just no sell this behavior or kind of in a sense sign off on this behavior it it has the it has a common it's two things he's buckshot jones 2.0 is what he is um, he needs somebody to have, like Gregson. He needs a Randy LaJoy type to just beat the living crap out of him and humble him old country way. Or he just needs to be sent firewall deep into a wall, a 
couple of times and it may be um, a la what Matt Genseth did to basically end his own career, but he, he taught Joey Logano a little bit, you know, because Joey Logano had to change after what happened there. And he did to a point. I mean, you can make your people's are going to hate Joey Logano because he's a cake eater and is in voice. And in fact, he looks like a pizza face, all, all these things. But the point is he's a really good, talented driver. Um, Nor Gregson's not a talented driver. He's not a good driver. He's just basically a dart without feathers. He's Paul Tracy, except he doesn't have the talent. I mean, Paul Tracy is a, an enormous D-bag, but at least at some point he had the semblance of talent to actually win races. Absolutely horrible person, which is something that Gregson has to like you want to make the comparison to Kurt and Kyle. I get it because they're from Vegas and they're they for a lot of their careers were both jackasses. Um, but Kurt and Kyle win. Um, Kurt napalmed himself out of two of the biggest teams in this three, two of the biggest teams in the sport. Uh, Gene Haas was willing to pay out of pocket to hire him. Uh, and then, of course, Ganassi. So, I mean, the, the reality is he's never, for as dumb as he has been, and for all the stupid crap he's done and fights he's been in and all these clickbait media wanting to get him, he's been a cup driver for 20 years. Um, I don't know if he's he's probably done after this year, but you know, 20 something years in the cup series, uh, it says something Kyle, one of the best raw talents I've ever seen in my life. He has an atrocious personality, uh, but, and there's other stuff going on there within the family or whatever, that whole dynamic, but the kid having the kid has humbled him a bit, made him a better person. Yeah. He goes and steals the little kid's lunch money in a truck, but it's his truck. I I figure let him run as many races as he wants. If that's what's going to fund John Hunter Nemechek to go out there and win a championship or fund Chandler Smith, then I have to bring all of his money to go and show up. That's fine. What is Noah Gregson doing? Really? I mean, it's the same way as like you brought up Michael Annette and he's a never will be. I mean, Michael, and that's even worse than Noah Gregson. And that speaks, says a lot about how um, bad that Michael Annette is really. Um, and Noah Gregson for that matter. But, uh, you know, like, I guess the reason that Josh Berry is able to run a half a season is because you have these two daddy's money ride buyers there. And then you have, Justin Allgaier is and it was a washout in cup. Um, and he has Brandt uh, as his sponsor has been his sponsor for many years. So he's never going anywhere. He's going to basically be that guy who sits in the Xfinity series for years and never goes anywhere. Um, and then you have two bride buyers and the eight car. So he, he's a prick. Um, I signed to watch him get put firewall deep into a wall, or if we're going to go the wrestling parlance, since this is basically wrestling, the fact that NASCAR is just like, yeah, whatever. He, he says all these 
stupid things. He does all these stupid things. You know, Tony had to get his ass kicked, had to go and put it, get humbled. Kirk Bush had to have that happen. Kyle Bush to a point has had to have that happen. A lot of these guys had to go and get a butt whipping. And fundamentally, he needs to get his butt whipped and or just get wrecked constantly until he figures it out because he's not aware. He has no awareness whatsoever. He's an obnoxious prick. And it offends me to the core after watching this sport for nearly 30 years that NASCAR is willing to hitch their wagon to a friggin' inbred um, douche who who has no future in the sport um, in a big time team. He might end up with like Rick Ware or some crappy team, but that's about as far as it's going to go. He's not going to Hendrick. He's not going to Penske, not going to Gibbs. So at that point, what the hell are you really racing for? Um, it's very hard to get into one of those rides, but that's the whole thing. He's not getting He's won two truck races, two X races, I think what, five or six K&N races. I mean, there's there are guys that are way better and even worse than him is when the kind of amount of races he's won in K&N. So, I mean, somebody has to humble him old country way and make him – Uh, understand that he's not invincible and he can't just behave like free willing and, and think it's okay. Um, Going from the negative of the uh, Xfinity race and go to Kyle Busch going and winning his uh, 60th truck race, which I mean, the end of the day, there's death taxes and, Kyle Busch winning in a truck. Um, I didn't, I mean, I barely, the reality is I didn't really watch uh, a lot of the weekend in regards to the truck series and, or or any of the series for that matter, really. But um, Kyle Busch going and winning, going and diving so that um, John Hunter could get the stage points and playoff points and people talking about like team orders and competitiveness and going and messing around in the end, it's Kyle Bush being Kyle Bush. He knows that the best thing for his organization is for John Hunter to win the stages because he needs the stage points and the playoff points and the whole thing. And he needs, uh, and then he'll go out there and win the race, which is exactly what he did. Um, did you have any problems, Josh, with how, Kyle handled the end of those stages and um, other than Kyle Bush, who, who stood out to you as somebody that we should be looking at um, as we go into the next stages of the season, including this dirt race that's happening this weekend. Well, uh, I think this race, like I didn't pay attention to it all. I was uh, out doing other things um, uh, on my own that I needed to do, but the, truck race i mean it happened and kyle bush won uh like you said death taxes and kyle bush winning uh it's almost guaranteed uh and you picked him to win the truck race i think from our last podcast so uh good for you uh uh john hunter somehow won the stage and led 21 laps uh and it seems like there's been some controversy i somewhat i guess of kyle bush kind of letting off and letting john hunter win uh the stage and get the points uh help him for the playoffs since it benefits him and not Kyle Busch. Uh, I mean, 
I don't know. See, that's the thing with the stage racing, like, like, and we talked about like the cup series race and stages there, like Kyle Larson letting, uh, Chase Elliott, not go a lap down, uh, and you know, stuff like this. Like, uh, I mean, we've seen it happen in the past. It's, this isn't like the first ever occurrence of it, but, uh, you know, it does seem odd for Kyle Busch, uh, you know, to basically have the most dominant car and then somehow let his teammate, uh, just, I mean, get the stage wins and, uh, both, both times. And, uh, then he ends up dominating winning the race. Um, I don't know, just seems, uh, kind of suspect, I guess. Uh, and, uh, I guess he's able to do that because he's Kyle Busch, but, uh, you know, nothing, nothing more to it than that, I guess. Uh, I mean, going into next week, um, I don't know, some of the dirt guys that are, or, you know, who have a dirt background, I mean, I think probably show up in that race and, and feel like Stuart Friesen might be a, someone who's up there, um, maybe Grant Infinger, uh, uh, see, you know, uh, Austin Hill, maybe Matt Grafton. I mean, the truck series is the one series that has actually had dirt history, having raced at Eldora in the past and, and now going to be racing at Bristol. So uh, it's a little bit more uh, clear, I guess, of what could happen uh, in, in that race. Uh, so, I mean, I think, you know, the guys that have done well at Eldora in the past probably will have a good chance of winning uh, or, you know, competing uh, on Saturday in the uh, truck series race. So on dirt Bristol. Um, so I, you know, I think a lot of those veteran guys and people who came from dirt backgrounds, I think uh, will do well, but I mean, as far as the, race on saturday at atlanta it happened and kyle bush won yeah that's the best way to put it i gotta say keep it simple and uh truck series race it happened and kyle bush won that's basically um the way we should as long as kyle bush is in one of those races i think it's easier to just go over the race that way i think that's what we'll do from now on um so thanks for that Gosh, I think that's the, the way to do it. Um, it's kind of like certain racetracks and when certain people win, it's like, yeah, it's this racetrack and it's like a road course and Clyde one. Okay, that's it. Like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do uh, minimal, the minimalistic approach, especially now that, you know, Formula One's back, IndyCar's coming along. Uh, you got other things that probably have other guests on. We're gonna have to go minimalistic somewhere, and probably NASCAR is a good way to do it. Yeah, um, truck series, at least. Yeah, truck series, Xfinity, whatever, because Xfinity is freaking awful too. Um, with all the right daddy's money people. Uh, yeah, going into the twelve hours of Sebring is definitely a competitive race. Uh, uh, this past weekend, um, you know, winning, winning a there it, it speaks to how good you are as a team but also being able to build a durable car and i mean it's it's nice to go and look at some of the the winners and and you know the like we mentioned the french connection uh with jdc miller with uh Loic Duval, Tristan Vautier, and uh, of course Sebastian Bourdais. You know they they go and win. Um, there's a wreck between the Corvette and BMWs, which allowed the WeatherTech Porsche to win. 
Um, you know, as mentioned earlier, the, the right motorsports team been second to the FAF plaid car. Um, in the end, the uh, race was won by the number five by 1.435 seconds over the Mazda of Jarvis Tinknell and Bomarito. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, Kamuya Kobayashi, Simon Pagino uh, finished third, but I thought that there was a um, drive time penalty for that team, but it doesn't look like, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. So that's yeah. So they got demoted, um, which means the Dane Cameron, Olivier Pla, Juan Pablo Montoya car finished third with the number ten, which won the Rolex with uh, Ricky Taylor, Philippe Albuquerque, and Alexander Rossi finishing fourth. Renger Van de Zanda, Kevin Magnuson, Scott Dixon, who had led a lot of the race and were in position to possibly win this finished two laps down. Um, and then of course the 48 car, which was up there all day, but drive time uh, violation by Simon Pagino cost him there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, good. I thought you were letting me go, but I mean, he had another point you want to bring up or. No, you can go ahead in oh, yeah. terms of the prototypes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that, but no, um, yeah, the I mean it was a close race throughout. Uh, you know, uh, especially last couple of hours of the race, uh, the gap between first and even up to fifth place was within I think at least uh, two seconds or less, uh, which for a twelve-hour race is pretty impressive. Um, and kind of like what we talked about at Daytona, the race being very close at the very end uh, until the uh, how that race ended. Um, it's kind of the same deal here and really wasn't sure who was going to win the race uh, at the end of it, uh, like the last coming to the last lap or next to the last lap. Uh, uh, Harry Tinknell had a chance, I think, to pass uh, Sebastian Bourdais. And after the first turn, he's really close, but uh, I think he ran into like some lap traffic and and uh, Sebastian Bourdais was kind of able to drive away from them. And then he had to fight off. Uh, we, uh, he had to fight off uh, the 48 car at the end. Um, and then of course 48 got the penalty but still a pretty impressive uh field for dpi uh being close and competitive throughout a, a, a long distance event like that and i i think that's very intriguing for imsa um as a series to be competitive like that be um not only because uh, the uh, highlights and stuff but uh for the drivers themselves uh, it really makes for a, a compelling story and uh competitive field um for the 48 car like uh, Jimmy Johnson wrecked in uh, qualifying, I think, and uh, you know had to, I think they had to go to a backup car. But uh, I wonder how much that hurt them, I guess, in their preparation for the race, um, uh, having to be set back like that. But at the same time, it's a learning experience for Jimmy Johnson, uh, being kind of at a new racetrack that you know he's never really raced at before, and then um, having to uh, overcome that and go through the race. Uh, and they ended up in third at, at the you know, end of the race, but then obviously they had the penalty there that um, put them at the back of the field and, and all that. But, uh, you know, for, for them, um, still a good showing even with the penalty. And then also I, I think you have to talk about Chip Ganassi, 0-1 car. They, they were in contention too, and 
I think, you know, they led the most laps in that race, but then they got an incident with uh, the number 25 BMW um, car there with uh, Connor Filippi and ended up uh, taking themselves out of contention with like 70 minutes left in that race. So um, another bad luck uh, event again for that team because Daytona flat tire with 10 minutes left took him out of the race. And then this uh, incident there uh, took him out of the race and fell uh, two laps behind at the end. Still finished fifth, was, which is good for points, but still um, the chance to start out the year with a 24-hour win and then a 12-hour win here at Sebring um, is really good, but um, unfortunately uh, unable to seal uh, the deal again. So I um, wonder uh, when they'll get their first win and then also does the bad luck continue instead uh, for that team. But uh, for, you know, GTLM, I, you know, it's other series or other class that I paid attention to somewhat in IMSA. Um, a little bit surprising, you know, with uh, Corvette, like not uh, getting the win there. And um, uh, Porsche ended up winning that, uh, that event uh, or that class. So uh, good for Porsche. Um, and they also won GT class as well. So uh, good results all around for Porsche. Um, and uh, obviously 25 ended up second in class to uh, that Porsche, but you know, wonder um, that would have been different if they didn't get in an incident with um, uh, Scott Dixon there. So uh, really competitive race overall for uh, 12 hours of Sebring. Um, interesting to see how the um, competitiveness and uh, DPI plays out throughout the rest of the year. And they have a break now between uh, this race and they would have been at Long Beach, but of course, um, that's been moved back to uh, the fall. Um, they're going to be running Mid-Ohio in May. Uh, that'll be their next race. So there's a big gap, a couple months, uh, you know, after what, is, what amounted to like a month and a half, I think, for um, between Rolex and uh, the Sebring 12 hours. So uh, long periods of time early on in the season that will pick up here in the summer. Uh, but you know, you got to look at the, the DPI category will be tough every single race for sure. Some racetracks fit suit certain cars and vice versa. So, um, we'll, we'll kind of find out, you know, 31 has been up there at times, then hasn't been as the finishes the show for it. The 60 car, um, has been up there, but they're still learning their whole deal with the Honda accurate program there um you know the 48 has been up there in both endurance races and they'll be at the other enduros um a lot to look forward to in the prototype category for sure gtlm for cooper mcneil and the porsche factory guys to go and beat the bmws which are only running the endurance races um and then also of course corvette um, having struggles um, you take them when you can get them same way as my uh, teammates as when, when we do bowling and uh, when we bowl and you know we get a Brooklyn strike or we get like an ugly strike like well take them how you can get them uh, that's you can't beggars can't be choosers in that sense um, John Bennett Kurtz Colin Brown Colin Brown yet again showing why he's one of the best drivers sports car drivers in the world in a very tight LMP3 category, the Dylan Murray, Urin Bleakamol, and Jim Cox 91 car, 
uh, finished second with uh, Gar Robinson, Scott Andrews, and Spencer Piggott in the 74, finishing third, and then Dr. Jim Norman, Oliver Askew, and uh, Austin McCluster fourth. So there, and then Joe Barbosa in fifth. So, I mean, there, there's all that. The Aston Martin finished third, actually, in the um, GTD category behind the two Porsches. Um, close battle, um, the 44 Acura, Potter, Lally, and Pumpelli. Um, and Catherine Legg, Christina Nielsen, and Anna Beatrice finished on the lead lap, finished fifth in class. So that's a good job by that whole the hard point or whatever. Porsche team finishing on the lead lap, the woman, all woman combination. Uh, so the, that's uh, a good to see them with some of the things that have been going on. So uh, good to see them get a finish for sure. Um, moving to the GSP roundup, uh, we mentioned Sebastian Bourdais just a moment ago in regards to winning 12 hours of Sebring. He just announced or they just announced a Foyt team, Rocket, um, Phones, whatever, or Rocket, whatever the heck they're going to be because they're involved in a bunch of different deals. Jean-Paul DeJoria, uh, it's a company made, developed, and they're going to be sponsoring the number 14 for Sebastian Bourdais and AJ Foyt Racing. Cool paint scheme. If you haven't seen it, go on social media and check it out. Um Pruitt came out and said there's like 34 to 37 entries and Indy. Um, not sure about that. Won't really know until basically what amounts to a month from now, really, when the entry list or entry blanks have to get through. Um, we'll, we'll see about that. I don't know. What, what, what do you look at, Josh, in regards to Sebastian Bourdais? and his opportunity this year um, in the uh, 14 car, and especially now that he has a full-time sponsor and they're going to be able to get some extra funding uh, to possibly compete and do something uh, up front, which isn't a thing you would say about an A.J. Foyt car for the longest. Yeah, for A.J. Foyt and Sebastian Bourdais, they uh... – AJ Foyt's cars has been really been competitive uh, at all. Um, been mostly a midfield guy at best, and a lot of times a, a back marker. And Sebastian Bourdais, uh, wonder how long he's going to be in any, any car, uh, you know, going on for the rest of his career. Um, he's been a pretty formidable driver in that series, uh, but uh, he's been out of the series kind of the last year or so, out of a ride, and now he's back in the series with AJ Foyt. Um, and I've been wondering how viable it's going to be um, and how, uh, you know, where he's going to be in the field uh, on a week-to-week basis. But uh, with uh, Rocket coming in, uh, they're kind of making a return to IndyCar, I guess, because, you know, they used to be a Champ Car sponsor uh, with uh, Justin Wilson and uh, A.J. Almendinger back in the day in 2006, uh, you know, during that era when Almendinger was in uh, Champ Car. So uh, kind of a return to IndyCar and, now they're sponsoring another uh, talented open wheel driver and uh, uh, open wheel team with history in uh, IndyCar. And uh, I think it'll help the, the team be a lot more competitive and definitely at, at least in terms of the paint scheme or the livery, 
it's definitely a change from the standard uh, ABC supply code that we've gotten used to from AJ Foyt Racing in the number four car and in the 14 car. So um, definitely a, a change there in sponsorship, which I think could be good and possibly help the team improve uh, upon what they've been in the past and really historically since AJ Foyt left that team as a driver. So uh, definitely a positive change for uh, Sebastian Bourdais and, and for AJ Foyt Racing. And also, I guess we can talk about the field quality for the Indy 500. Uh, Phil's away for a minute, but uh, uh, seems like there could be uh, 34, 37 cars in the field. Uh, we'll see what happens for that. But uh, I mean, at least 31 cars be in the field for the 500, but uh, we'll have to see uh, guaranteed entries. Uh, I mean, well, not guaranteed entries, but certainly a entry for um, most of the uh, regulars in the Indy car and then uh, guys like Juan Montoya making a one-off. Um, definitely going to be interesting to see what uh, bumping is going to look like if it, if it exists. Um, not sure exactly how many entries uh, we'll have out of the regulars, but you know, talking about the IndyCar, uh, Indy 500 field, but uh, I think for there's at least you know going to be a couple of teams that do a one-off. Um, I think one team that you're not going to see is Dragon Racing. I think they're focusing more on sports car racing again, and they've tried to go back into IndyCar, but uh, for uh, expanded effort beyond the Indy 500. But I think they've shut the door on that from what i understand but um definitely dry and reinbold yeah no not dry and reinbold but dragon racing or um who's the team that competed with uh uh ben hanley the last two years and oh dragon speed yeah, yeah they're dragon speed sorry i think yeah that's dragon elton racing. yeah because that's dragon yeah. racing or whatever was that jay penske shit show that um they're yeah, that in was formula e. or something. yeah he's still involved in formula e somehow but um yeah, Dragon Speed with um, Elton Julian and that whole um, outfit. They're sports car committed right now towards the prototypes, and I think they're looking towards the convergence um, as an opportunity to get a factory effort there. But yeah, the Ben Hanley team—they were—they filled a field last year, the year before they went and took. Um, they were part of uh, taking Fernando Alonso. Yeah. Soul, um, them and uh, whatever Junkos went and was a one two punch and just basically nailed them right in the balls. Uh, that was an, an pathetic performance, an absolutely um, farcical performance, as um, Al Michaels would say, um, by McLaren a few years ago. Um, but it is indie. You know, when Penske, which is the greatest, and now he literally owns a track, could not make the field with two drivers out of one, four Indy 500s and two or three IndyCar championships. Um, it doesn't it doesn't play favorites. It really doesn't. So um, the Indy field having a deeper field. Um, curious what the Peretta that um the, that uh, team with Sabona Di Silvestro. I know they have a Penske yeah, connection, support. and um, that is probably going to help them make the show. Um, but I'm curious to see how that'll go. Um, I would hope, um, because I've been a fan of Sabona Di Silvestro for many years, unlike some of these other women that are literally there because of 
being a sword swallower, you know, sponsorship or wanting to be an Instagram influencer, like a lot of these girls are these days um, that are in the sport. Um, Simona has been all about racing, you know, kind of a lesser extent, like Catherine Legg and something. And Simona has been able to win and she's been able to beat guys that, um, like Simon Pagino, like Graham Ray Hall, like uh, there's been others, you know, she finished on the podium in IndyCar. It's not, and it's, and it's on merit. It's not like she backed into it. So um, hopefully it's a sign or it'll be the start of something for that whole organization. Beth Bredo is involved in Mopar's um, motorsports, SRT motorsports deal years ago with Ralph Gill and, um, you know, others and stuff like that. So she's a very smart lady and put a good team together. Hopefully they'll be able to put something. I think that's one organization to look at. That'll be a story the whole couple of weeks or whatever at Indy. And I think the one car that's going to be a one-off or a limited race deal is Juan Pablo Montoya. He's a two-time Indy 500 winner. Um, He's one of the best race car drivers I've ever seen. Um, you, when you're that good at a certain racetrack or in general, the way that Juan Pablo is, um, you can't discount them. They're going to be a Chevy or, or their Chevy team. Um, you have two young guns in, in Pato and Felix. Juan Pablo Montoya wants to get that third Indy 500 when he wants to join the likes of Uncle Bobby and um, Dario Franchitti and, you know, get to that three win uh, number um, with also with Elio Castro Dash Neves. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of great names that have won this race. Um, I think what Johnny Rutherford won it three times. So uh, there, there's, there's a long list. And I think Juan Pablo is somebody that is not running the full season that could go out there and kind of pull what Dan, the late Dan Weldon did. And um, with the support and the team they have there, uh, possibly go out and win a third Indianapolis 500. Um, In the roundup as well, we got the MotoGP opener uh, this weekend. um, And uh, they'll be at Qatar. And uh, there's uh, no Mark Marquez uh, to start the season, which is a bummer for sure. Uh, For those who are fans of Mark Marquez, I'm not one of them. But, you know, when when you're as good as he is and he's that Kyle Busch, he's got the Kyle Busch personality and Kyle Busch methodology in the sense of what he does and to not have uh, somebody of his stature, of his ilk, is definitely going to be um, uh, a bummer. It'll be Stefan Brattle, who will be um, on the his bike um, to go and uh, go and make things happen there. Um, you know, you got, of course, you got Valentino Rossi. Um, Going to the Patronus team, you have um, 
all kinds of changes. You have Jack Miller going to the proper Ducati um, effort and, and uh, you know, the, you got, uh, I'm trying to go through here. You got tech. Oh, look at, that's cool. Looking. Um, Daniel Gucci, Marini is a rookie. Um, the Fabio Quattraro and Maverick Vinales are going to be on the factory. Um, Yamaha's. Uh, then you have Franco Morbidelli with uh, Valentino Rossi on the Patronus bikes. Vinia Bastaini coming in with Avinta, um, Renzo Salvadori, um, the defending world champion is Joanne Mir. Uh, people may forget that, but yeah, the defending world champion is Joanne Mir. Um, yeah, uh, Jack Miller moving over to um, the Ducati factory team, Paul Espargaro moving over to Honda to be the teammate to Mark Marquez. Alex Marquez moves off of the main team to the LCR outfit. Franco Benaya going over to the factory Ducati. So two new riders there. Um, so a lot of changes, a lot of things to look forward to. No Mark Marquez means it's an open opportunity again. And uh, you wonder, can't really say who's going to win because it was out of control last year. Um, it'd be nice to see the doctor, the GOAT, uh, Valentino Rossi going in for the first time in many years. But who knows what we will see um, this weekend at uh, Qatar. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, – we'll definitely go over that. And we'll also get into the World Superbikes and – um, other series that are going to kind of take off here in the next few weeks with uh, no sports cars. And I mean, next week uh, will be the Easter break. So there'll, it'll be quiet. So probably can do a little bit of recapping and stuff like that. Um, to kind of close out the night, let's uh, do our predictions in regards to the Grand Prix of Bahrain in Formula One, um, and then also uh, the Bristol Dirt uh, for both the Cup and Truck Series. I mean, I'll go uh, with the start with the Formula One. Lewis Hamilton get didn't get to end his season the way he wanted to because uh, he got COVID, so he missed the Bahrain Roval. Um, that Russell should have won. And then he came back probably a little too soon and he wasn't 100% finished third in the uh, season finale. So I feel like what better way to put yourself back as the um, alpha with no pun intended with the actual team name, but um, go and win uh, this weekend, win the pole, win the race um, is what I see, um, I see Max Verstappen finishing second, and I see Sergio Perez finishing third. So Red Bull gets a double podium and uh, takes a, uh, what do you call, a, a lead in the Constructors' Championship early on in uh, 2021. 
Uh, how about you, Josh? Yeah, for me, uh, I'll go the opposite, I guess, and I'll pick uh, Max Verstappen to win the opening race in Bahrain and um, Lewis Hamilton finishing in second. And I'll go also the opposite on the podium as well and pick uh, Valtteri Botas to finish third uh, in this race. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm I'll kind of a believer in the Red Bull's momentum and uh, their success, I guess, in testing. And I think at least open the race or open the season, uh, Max Verstappen will come out on top there. Um, and we'll see what happens with Formula One this season and the, the battle between uh, Red Bull and Mercedes there. So um, that's that's what I think. Okay. Yeah, and we'll see. We'll definitely go over the race and whatever else is going on, any of the big news that comes up with uh, Formula One, not only for this weekend's race, but as the season goes on, you also want to go and support not only us here on the GSP, but another group that has been a part of our shows and vice versa that really do care about their Formula One show itself. Uh, the Grid Talk podcast, uh, they're out there um, and they've had, I've been on there. Um, for a few times now, um, George and his team have, have put together quite a group of fans and whatever. So if you want more Formula One specific coverage, go and listen to F1 Grid Talk podcast. It's on all the platforms you can think of in regards to podcasts. They're also on YouTube with videos or also on Facebook. So give them a follow. Um, for Bristol Dirt, um, on the game that I, we play at uh, the Talking in Circles, since I'm just shilling for other podcasts, but the Talking in Circles deal, um, I, because I'm so buried, I got the first pick, and I picked Kyle Larson as uh, my winner, and then Dark Horse, based on Clayton, was anybody that's outside of the playoff. Well, I ended up picking Chase Briscoe. Um, it's not just because of personal bias, because he's a really good dang dirt racer. And this would be an opportunity for them to go and put one race together, get that win, and take a lot of pressure off of themselves. Um, do you have anybody else other than that, Josh? Or do you think that those picks are pretty straightforward? Well, uh, I mean, I, I can see why you pick both those drivers, and I, you know, respect the picks, but I'm going to go a little bit different, at least for the winner, um, and maybe this could be a wild card, too, based on how you look at it, but I actually think uh, Tyler Reddick could win the race on uh, Sunday at Bristol Dirt. Uh, he's a dirt guy, too, um, the same kind of, same background, kind of, as Kyle Larson, and, you know, I, th I think kind of keeping the trend this year of different winners to start the year. Uh, I could see Tyler Reddick coming out and uh, winning this race and uh, securing his spot in the playoffs. And then also um, for a wild card, um, it's, I mean, it's tough to say, but, you know, uh, maybe somebody like Bubba Wallace. Uh, I mean, that's, I mean, not entirely far out there, but, um, you know, he did win uh, at Eldora in the truck series. So, you know, he's one of the, drivers in the series that actually has real dirt experience you know I, I feel like it's probably 50 50 at this point um, a lot of the drivers now touched on dirt but
but never in a cup car and or never in a stock car at least and uh bubba wallace is one of the few ones to actually do it in a stock car having truck experience at eldora so he could definitely be uh, somebody that is viewed as a wild card contender for uh bristol uh dirt uh for the cup race on sunday yeah triggering the base uh by going and picking uh yeah. bubble walls there uh really messing with people so uh send send the hate mail if you i didn't say bubble walls i mean whatever i'm going to support bubble walls anyways but if you're going to be triggered by the notion of bubble walls can't drive a race car but he wanted freaking eldora and tony stewart handed him the golden shovel he didn't tell bubble to shove it up his ass he gave it to him um that would be something and i think the notion is this is an opportunity race uh which is where you know me picking chase briscoe for you going in with tyler reddick who's had a nightmare start to 2021 um you know bubba wallace that team is running better than that fifth gibbs car usually does but yeah, because of all the PR, because it's Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin, all that, it's not as good as people thought they'd be. But you're a brand new organization. You're not yeah. supposed to come out um, swinging that quickly. Um, I think uh, the dirt race is an opportunity for Bubba Walls to go and possibly get a top 10 finish um, to put himself in a place, get himself closer towards the playoffs. Truck series race is just full of cup drivers, Xfinity. Yep. Larson's going to be in a Nice Motorsports truck. Um, there's cup guys, Bubba Walson being the number 11. We've got points from Nemco. Yeah, uh, of course, Stewball would probably be the, the likely favorite because of his extensive dirt background, former. Eldora winner. Uh, I mean, there are other drivers that have won. Uh, Briscoe is in there. He won at Eldora before. So I'll start with you, Josh, in, in terms of your picks for uh, this, whatever, Friday's truck race. Yeah, for me, uh, I'm actually going to go ahead and pick uh, Kyle Larson to win in the truck series race. Uh, Bristol Dirt, uh, he's another guy with uh, truck experience at Eldora, uh, having one there as well. And, uh, you know, he's probably the best dirt driver. So I, that, that's entered in this race, um, uh, and definitely his extensive dirt background as well will help him, uh, win this race. So I pick him, uh, as the guy to win and, uh, as a wild card, uh, it's tough to say, but I, I'm going to go with somebody like, uh, Zane Smith, uh, uh as a somebody that we don't really know what his experience is on dirt definitely think uh he could maybe surprise people and, and put up a top 10 finish or uh something like that uh for uh the bristol uh truck dirt race on friday yeah it's gonna i think the truck race is gonna be a lot more wide open because it's a deeper field uh 44 trucks for 40 spots you have the likes of Kevin Harvick in this race, Nonak, Larson, Suarez, you know, dirt racer J.R. Hefner, and of course Briscoe in a in an uh, 04 Roper Ford there. So a lot going on there for sure. And we will see 
how that all works out. Um, before we go, I'm going to let Josh talk about his iRacing. Uh, of course, we'll have the Josh um, iRacing segment, and he's doing a lot of work there. And he was in a IndyCar race at uh, California Speedway, what was whatever, I guess, whatever you want to call it, Auto Club Speedway. Um, had a good car, but it was uh, unfortunate circumstances early on that kind of just derailed um, your situation there. Yeah, uh, for the Open Series, uh, the so the iRacing has two uh, main IndyCar series uh, that competes every week. Um, there is a third one that kind of tailors to the schedule, but then there there's uh, two main series that go uh, throughout the week, um, and you know, one's a fixed uh, oval-only track series, a fixed setup series. That's a C-class on iRacing. And then the other one that you're talking about is the uh, open setup uh, road series that sometimes races on oval tracks. And, uh, yeah, they're both of them racing in California, uh, Auto Club Speedway. Um, a lot of fun uh, actually having multi-groove racing, being able to utilize the top uh or the middle groove to you know get momentum trying to defend your position and then you know diving down to the bottom um making passes and then also utilizing the draft on the front stretch and the back straight um and sucking up really really close to the uh back wing i guess the tail wing of the indy car and you know making somewhat erratic moves uh and making you know sudden passes and all that stuff is a lot of fun um but, you know, you talk about the incident or not incident, but misfortune. Um, I forgot to swap out my qualifying setup for the race setup. And uh, the mainly the difference is, is the uh, qualifying setup was only set up for uh, like one and a half laps of fuel. So the warm up lap and then the first lap of qualifying. Um, and I forgot to change it out for the race setup after qualifying. Uh, and, and it basically forfeiting a, a third place qualifying spot and going uh falling a lap down and having a speeding penalty on top of that trying to uh, go in the pits and then basically trying to claw my way out of that uh try to utilize the cautions uh to be able to get out of that it was a 100 lap race and i think there's like two cautions and tried to be able to you know uh, stay out on on the pit cycle and make up a lap and then pit later on uh tried to do that but um just the fuel strategy just wasn't there uh, to try to do that. Um, uh, I ended up falling multiple laps down, um, but still ended up finishing in like uh, sixth place uh, there at the end of that race. Uh, the car count in the open series, uh, I mean, it was a 10 o'clock race on like Friday night and car count series uh, for, for that one sometimes is a little bit low and then other times is a little bit more. So uh, I just happened to be in the, one of the more, um, less competitive in terms of car count uh splits and the the ones that i raced in for the open series um so that i mean was still able to get a decent finish i guess and just you know pad the the stats on the i rating and on the uh, safety rating there for i racing so um still good experience i mean had good pace just uh didn't have anything to show for it because of uh my own mistakes there but you know it's a learning experience just remember to swap out the setup uh, from qualifying to race. So just got to remember to do that. Um, you know, did, did some, uh, fixed series as well. And it was a little bit more competitive in there. Um, also finished in top five and one, and then, uh, got wrecked out in the other, um, uh, 
uh, and you know the one that I was able to finish in um, I had a chance there at the end kind of the win uh, but just put myself in the wrong position and uh, uh, just didn't have the the right lane choice I guess and uh, being trying to pass on the bottom but uh, not having enough momentum to um, be able to shut the door and then kind of fell back a little bit but was still able to get fifth in that one so uh, it was a little bit of fun on the IndyCar side uh, trying to get a little bit more experience get back into the IndyCar on iRacing uh, you know work on the race craft and all that stuff uh, for, um, you know, trying to make, make a run possibly at uh, the iRacing Indy 500, maybe open wheels 500 later in the year. So, um, you know, just got to gotta continue to get more experience on that and we'll, we'll see how it goes for the sim racing. Yeah. We'll definitely keep you posted on Josh's exploits on iRacing. Maybe you'll see some famous people and we'll hear about that and you have raced some of them already this year and even in the winter as well. So with the emergence or whatever re-emergence of the iRacing uh, Pro Series for both the Cup and IndyCar, uh, we might be able to get some GSP uh, hits on uh, with these big-time pros. Now that'll do it for tonight's show. Before we go, uh, Bill... Uh, definitely talk about Formula One uh, next week. We'll talk about dirt, Bristol Dirt, and um, MotoGP, and anything else that is going on here this weekend in motorsports. Um, Josh, uh, where can we follow you? Where can we follow your streams um, on social media? Yeah, as always, uh, Twitter account uh, at JP Huffine, uh, spelled J-P-H-U-F-F-I-N-E, uh, basically my first two initials and my last name. Uh, and then Twitch uh, TV slash Sailor 2 that's where we'll have iRacing mostly, um, maybe some other games on there, uh, but mostly iRacing. Um, uh, try to, I guess, figure out how to be a part of the iRacing community that way, give some press to us uh, or some uh, you know exposure to us on this podcast. That's what it's all about. So um, that's basically two places on social media they can interact with me. And you can find me on Twitter at Philip G. Matthew. You can find the show at Grip Strip Pod. Um, we upload on Podbean and we can you can find a show usually on my Twitter handle or on Josh's or on the Grip Strip Podcast handle. Uh, we are also uh, on uh, most uh, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, most places where you can find a podcast, the major ones, they have the Grifter podcast. So you can follow us there. I'll be writing for Sportlight this week in regards to the preview for the Formula One Bahrain Grand Prix. Um, we'll get into that, as I said. We'll talk about Cup and anything else that's going on here in motorsports. Uh, we thank you for listening to the Grifter podcast. Uh, for Josh, I'm Phil. Stay safe, social distance, wear a mask, take care of one another so that we can get back to where we theoretically were or want to be, um, which is some semblance of normalcy, even at a time where there's a lot of craziness going on. Take care. Good night.